You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. James chapter 4. We'll look at verses 13 through 16, Lord willing. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, there are notes provided for you in your bulletin. Uh, and there's a copy of the scriptures in there. I would encourage you uh, to read them and follow along with me and make sure that I am preaching the Bible, God's Word to you. Uh, also, if you have a smartphone and you can download the Version Bible app, that's Y-O-U uh, version. You can go to the More tab after you download it. Go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and then click on today's uh, sermon title. And there you can actually see and save and share all the notes, quotes, and references that are in these uh, written notes for you as well. And as you can tell, there it's a little fuller notes today. Uh, that doesn't mean the sermon will be any longer, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but I wanted you to have this uh, going into uh, 2021. I want to preach just one sermon. This is not a part of the series. It's between uh, to Christmas and New Year's. A sermon that I've entitled, Resolved, Resolved. And it's from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Have you made resolutions only to break them? I mean, I believe we all have at some point in our lives. Especially spiritual resolutions. I'm going to pray more. And then January 2nd, you find no interest in prayer whatsoever. Or you fall asleep. Or I'll read the Bible and have you ever actually like woke up the next day and you're like, I forgot to even look at it. Or I'll go to church and worship and hear the word preached and it just doesn't happen. And then soon, whether it's a resolution you made for the new year or just a, a recommitment to spiritual things, once you miss once, twice, maybe three times, you just kind of throw your hands up and you give it all up. Like, what's the use? Here's what I want you to think about, and this is, it's rocked my world this week as I've meditated on it. One year ago today, put yourself one year ago, where were you at if you can remember or closely around the last Sunday of last year? What do you think you'd be doing now in 2020? I can tell you for certain. I had no clue that I would be preaching to about half my congregation 
with the other half on mock, right? I never saw, I'm, no lie, can I, can I get personal with you for just a second? When I first got here, uh, within the first couple of months, this is my first senior pastorate, you know, overseeing, looking uh, at church from a new perspective, a different level, looking at church budget and finances. I'll never forget telling Cindy Pruitt, our secretary, I said, man, I really would love to know the kind of ranges and percentages we ought to have in our savings, right? Like in comparison with other churches. And I said, because here's the point. I said, I mean, certainly, certainly, once it gets below a certain line, they just fire us off, right? And I said, because what scenario in the world is there where the church dwindles to essentially no attendance, and yet they would keep us on? Well, there's a scenario, <laughs> which I never had conceived of. A pandemic can keep you employed, and you preach to your congregation, and they're not present at all. I would have never thought about those things, and I don't know, and that's just from my personal experience. I don't know what it's been like for each and every one of you. I know some of you right now who are watching online thought you'd be here, right? It's amazing, and it just goes to show we cannot know or predict the future. We have goals, but goals can disappoint us. We can plan, but we must hold on to those plans loosely. In today's text, James, the brother of Jesus, which, by the way, if you don't know much about James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he believed Jesus honestly. When you look at the family of Jesus in the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they thought Jesus was crazy. They literally were like, we don't know this guy, huh. their own brother. And yet, fascinating, fascinating, come the book of Acts, right, post-Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, appearances, and ascension, you see his brother praying in the upper room with the rest of the church. What changes his mind? What makes a man go, my brother is the son of God? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus appeared to James. That even James saw Jesus alive. And in fact, and so you know that we're just not making this up. James is actually mentioned in Josephus' book of antiquities. They talk about when he was martyred for his Christian faith in his brother in the city of Jerusalem. It was a historical person that we're talking about. And he calls himself, in James chapter 1, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, his brother. What an amazing thing. And so James has some wisdom to impart to us and the church about life and unexpected events. <laughs> James is addressing specifically in his congregation some wealthy merchants, tradespeople in the church. Business travel was prevalent in the first century. Naturally, a good business person would make careful plans, especially in that day, arranging both sales and purchases far ahead of time. They might have discussed their business deals and boasted about their plans. There is no evidence, this is the Bible is silent, whether or not they prayed about their decisions, they seem to believe that they got their way and just accomplished what they planned. 
And notice what Brother James tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now. He's like, huddle up. I got something to tell you. And this is you in the plural. It's y'all who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You see how determined and confident they are? Look at verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what 2020 will bring. You don't know what 2021 will bring. What your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, y'all should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. We will live and do this or that. But as it is, your boast in your arrogant, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And it's fascinating to think that just to make plans without reference to God is considered by the Apostle James a boast, a brag. I'll explain it more. So here's a couple of things I want you just to see in this text, and then I'll try to tie a nice ribbon on it there at the end. Number one, here's what we see, and we know this, but it's good to see it affirmed in black and white here in God's Word. Is Number one, life is uncertain. If there's anything that we've learned this year, and from God's word, is that life is uncertain. We do not know the future. We do not know whether tomorrow will produce a catastrophe or a visitation of God's grace. None of us know what tomorrow holds. We could have a complete financial reversal. There could be a fatal accident. Or Jesus Christ himself can return to judge the living and the dead. That's the range of possibility. Right? And it's really true. I'm not even fear-mongering. This is the truth. Even though we do not see the future, we often act like it is secure. The sun will go down and it will rise again tomorrow. Right? Right? Certainly. Life will go on the way we know it to be. Many of us, and I'm one of them, we have busy schedules. I keep a list of things. I like to check things off. And it's easy to plan those schedules without considering God's intervention. What if he comes in and messes it all up, so to speak? Many of us have visionary goals for our businesses, our jobs, our churches, our families. And these people here in the text were planning for a full year without considering God when they couldn't even see one day ahead of them. Can you actually tell me how tomorrow will go down for you? I've got a plan, but I can't tell you it will actually be executed. Much less, think about the sheer arrogance to say, here's the plan, and it will go down this way for the next year. Their attitude reminds us of a farmer in a parable, a story that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. This farmer, one year, yielded a huge harvest. Okay, got filthy rich. His barns were too small, so he built bigger barns to secure his fortune for the remainder of his life. And listen to what it says in Luke 12, 19. He says this to himself. 
Notice what he goes. He goes, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. He goes, I am retiring. I've made it. Right? I just get to enjoy the rest of my life. And then this is how Jesus' story goes. He says, what was God's reply to this businessman? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice this, there's not an issue with being rich. It's also being impoverished when it comes to spiritual things. There was no consideration of God in his planning at all. Why? He was going to keep it all for himself. And God reminded him, who are you leaving it to? No amount of wealth, no amount of planning could protect him from the Lord's will. Good or bad. Life is uncertain. And here's what we have to trust, and I'll show you a little bit more about it later. The only thing is that's certain is that the future is certain to God only. He knows. We do not. Number two, we see here in verse 14 also that life is brief. Write it down. Life is brief. To us, doesn't it seem really long and tedious at times? Like, when will this get over? I hope you're not saying it. You're like, please, let's just get out of church, right? It's just so long. And we measure our lives in years. But think about this. What is our life if compared to eternity? And I've shared this with you before, and I'm not a great math guy, but I did get this illustration that I thought it made sense to me. Uh, Dr. Clay Jones at Biola, when we were talking about evil and suffering in the world. And he was just using this kind of mathematical equation just to get a glimpse, a glimpse of what we're talking about when we deal with eternity. He said, say you lived 120 years and you suffered every single moment of your life. But at the end of it, you were guaranteed to go and enjoy paradise in heaven with Christ. And so you would take your life and let's divide it by eternity. I mean, a truly potential infinite. Anything that you divide, any number, no matter how large it is, whether it's 1 to 12 trillion, and you divide it by eternity, you know what it yields? Zero. Zero. And he used that just as an idea. He goes, no matter what we go through in life, when it's compared to eternity, it's not worthy to be compared. It's apples and oranges. And so we have to consider eternity. If you don't put that into your perspective, your planning is all wrong. Think about this, Psalm 90, verse 12. This is ancient wisdom in the Psalms from the lawgiver Moses. This is what his prayer was to God. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. How to live the good life. I found this interesting. It was from one of the commentaries or a sermon that I read about this text. And it said this, we count our years at each birthday, but God tells us number your days. I'm 32, I'm 32. And he's like, no, no, you should have been counting the days. You lived again today. Well, bless God. We've been counting it all wrong. 
Clement of Rome, who was a disciple of the original disciples, which lived within the first century. He's actually mentioned in scripture. He wrote a letter and he says this, his breath is in us and when he will, he shall take it away. It's God's breath in your lungs and one day he'll call it back. And then number three, number three, life is contingent. Life is contingent. Now, what do I mean by the word contingent? And it's more of a philosophical term. It's probably not something that we use every day. But what I want to emphasize is the sense that we are dependent upon another for our existence. God in philosophy is considered a necessary being. There is no time in which God did not exist. We would say it this way. He is self-sufficient. He runs on himself. He doesn't need anything else in order to be God and to exist. You and I are the exact opposite philosophically. When we say we are contingent, and this is something to really grapple with, is that the universe can go on with or without our existence. We are completely superfluous. And what I mean by that is we exist sheerly because of God's good pleasure. That he created you because he wanted to make you. But you did not have to exist. That's a really amazing thing when you think about it. So life is contingent. This is the thing, and I shared this with Cindy on Monday because I had got finished last Sunday and my mind was already rolling on toward my sermon for this coming week. And my heart just kind of settled on this James text. And I've read this text many, many times. And I had just assumed, you know, have you ever read like something so that you become so familiar with it, you just miss certain things, right? And the thing that I missed, and that's why I wanted to, to kind of emphasize it in my reading today, he says, if the Lord wills, he doesn't say, if the Lord wills, we'll go do this or that. What did he say? If the Lord wills, we will, we will live. Did you catch that? So there's, there's two things here. We're not saying, if God wants to do it, we'll get it done. Well, there's an even more basic fundamental assertion. If God lets us wake up, and then if he wants to do it, we'll get it done. Do you see how contingent our life is? We're completely dependent upon him for our continuation. The spiritual fact about this is difficult I think for some American Christians to believe because we like to celebrate the self-made man or woman, right? To pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But I just want to remind you of something. If you're a Christian, a Christian, there is no self-made Christian. There's none. A Christian, by definition, is someone who has asked for help. Are you saved? then you're not self-made because you can't be self-saved. Do you pray? You know what prayer is? Asking for help. So as Christians, we should easily say, oh, oh when it comes to self-made, oh, no, no, every good gift comes from above. My life is from above. Anything that's been accomplished that's good in my life, from above. I've simply been a steward, a manager of the means by which God has accomplished this. But if he didn't want it to happen, it would not have happened at all. He is that sovereign. He rules over and overrules all. Self-reliance 
and independence rightfully belong to God alone. That is why to brag about what you're going to do without reference to God is to manifest the presence of self-creation and soul causation of one's being. I've got this. No, you don't. Not biblically. None of us, we should all come to God and we go, only you've got this. Only you. Such boasting in a Christian life stems from prayerlessness, prod, and a pretentious way of life. James declares, what else is this but wickedness? For him to boast is sin because in essence, this is how James see it, you're making yourself out to be God when we plan without reference to him. Only God can plan like that. Here's what will happen next year. Right? Here's what will happen for eternity. And it happens. The rest of us, guys, as, as this may help you, inspire you, or convict you, the rest of us, all things other than him, are living day by day. That's it. I can't even tell you that what I've got planned in the next hour will actually come to pass. So here's some tests. This is just to test you. And I, I mean, it tested me. I'm not trying to just get in and make you angry. But here's where we're going to find out really who you're relying upon for your planning. Do you live in a way, make decisions, or plan for the future without reference to God? That's kind of like the big question. Let's kind of narrow in. Do you take into account God's sustaining care, or what we call in theology, common grace? That God gives good gifts to people whether they like Him or not. Okay? Or do you take credit for all the good you experience? The Bible makes this clear. And, and believers, we're just as guilty as unbelievers, but it points out that unbeliever, unbelievers mistake the forbearance and goodness of God in their lives as God's approval on their sin. And here's Paul and the other apostles' point is going, God's being good to you to give you a space for repentance. To understand you are a sinner and you need a savior. He is not letting his wrath rain down all on, all, all on you at one time. He's waiting for you to repent. But in our sinful nature, we take, well, look at all this stuff that I've done. And God's going, I gave that to you. Look at this one. Could unbelievers note how you see that God has been a factor in your life? And I mean, like a part of the equation. Just going like, it's clear this person factors in God when they think about their decisions that they've got to make. Do your resolutions and plans serve God and the people he created? And that's one, our purpose, why God, I mean, literally spoke us into existence. And I, I, I'm with the Presbyterians on this from the Westminster Confession, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, explained it this way, that God is a host in which he created his own parasites. And we're the parasites he can't let get. We feed and live off of him. That's what it is. He doesn't need us. He created us in desperate need of him. It's really amazing. Do you see your work and careers as ways to make money 
buy what you want, get ahead, feel secure, wield influence, or show status. I'm not saying uh, don't do those things and give the money to the church. That's prosperity gospel. What I'm saying is this, is do you factor in the fact that even the money is used for the glory of God and for the good of others? That's what we're factoring in. I believe I missed one. Do you describe your retirement in selfish terms as your time? It's my time now. It's never been your time. (laughs) It's not my time now. Or 30 years from now. Be careful with this possession of time. We don't own it. Okay? Do you believe God is in control of the significant areas of life but not interested in the mundane matters? I am guilty as charged. I believe my anxiety stems from this very concept. God cares about my church. He cares about my education. Definitely cares about my wife. What does he care about me on a day-to-day basis? And that's a a terrible misunderstanding about God. Jesus tells us, his own son goes, you understand a a bird doesn't fall out of the air without God knowing. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. And that's because we feel like, I hear this in society, we feel like that makes humanity self-absorbed. It's not about, we're self-absorbed, it's saying that God's omniscient. He knows all things. He's that caring. I know it. He is aware. It's no, I think we think we're infringing upon God like he ain't got time to think about us. It's like, who do you think God is? He's unlimited. To think about you is not burdensome to him. He loves you. He created you. He gave you a body so it'd be clothed. He gave you a body so it'd be fed. Don't worry. Do you make practical decisions about education, job changes, moving, investments, and spending without prayer. I want to highlight something Miss Barbara shared with me. I think it was over a year ago. We were talking about prayer and something she encouraged me to do. And I try to do it when I can. But I, I told her I'm a list maker. And she says, one of the things I've done is to pray through my list. And at first I thought, well, man, if you saw the stuff on my list, like, is that worthy of prayer? You know, I got some stupid things on my list. And then I realized, but none of that's insignificant to God. So go ahead and toss it up there. Like, God, if, if we can do this today, it would be nice to get this done. Do you consult the Bible for constant input to your decisions? And let me tell you, church, I want to say this. I think sometimes we get really concerned over what is God's will, what is God's will, what is God's will. I do want to share this with you is if the Bible is truly silent on it, and I mean, that's a hard book to talk about, like, the entire Bible, right? But if the Bible goes, here are the boundaries, right? To step outside these boundaries is a transgression, a trespass, a sin. Therefore, it infringes on the will of God, all right? But here's some things that happen. I do want you to understand, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to come down to a couple of options And the word of God doesn't prohibit either one. And here's what I want you to know. It's what Augustine said. Love God and do what you will. Some of you just need to hear that today. It's okay for you at times, as long as it's not going to take away from God's glory or hurt someone else, that you can do what you want. That's okay. Because I feel like sometimes Christians get in gridlock. Gridlock going, I'm not, and they start reading signs into things, you know. I heard this song the other day. I saw this thing happen in the sky. Did you see that cloud? (laughs) We start reading omens. 
And God's just like, do what you want. As long as we don't break God's word, you're free. You're at liberty to do what you want. And then how have you left God out of the picture? I want you to understand, James is not objecting to planning. He's just simply objecting to planning without reference to God. Jonathan Edwards, here's really the the gist of what I wanted to share. Jonathan Edwards wrote a little pamphlet. And if you don't know Jonathan Edwards, he was uh, really, uh, when I say responsible, the agent of the first great awakening in the United States back in the 1700s. And when he had graduated from the university, he had sat down and wrote 70 resolutions. This wasn't like New Year's resolutions. These were things that he wanted to commit his life to. Okay? But what I want to share with you, I want to share the preface to those resolutions and then resolution number one. And he says this. This is what he wrote. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. (laughs) Did you see how he prefaced it? Like, understanding. Everything good comes from God, right? I do humbly entreat or ask him by his grace, his kind turning, to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will. He nailed, like with Genesis, he nailed James 4. Bam. Here's my resolutions, but before I even tell you what they are, I understand if God doesn't want any of this, it ain't going to happen. And then he gives number one. He says, here's what it is. Uh, And he tells himself, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. He said, number one, I resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good, profit, and pleasure. And those will hold in good tension. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so, many myriads of ages hence, I love that, to eternity, Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve so to do without difficulties I meet with how many soever and how great soever. I would encourage you, I could read the the 69 other ones. (laughs) It's not even that long. Just go look it up. You can Google it. Go read through his resolutions. I, I would even encourage you, maybe as a practical application, go read through it and pick one out for 2021. But I would use the preface, definitely. Here's the big idea. Write it down. And we'll sum this up. All resolutions, and you can put, you could actually put in that space, resolutions, plans, decisions, you know, life choice, whatever. All resolutions are subject to God's will. Are subject to God's will. And it's important to know. I think it's good to know as a believer and even unbeliever. God can override, when we talk about his sovereignty, God can override our plans at any time. There is nothing out of his jurisdiction. And you don't know. I've always used Lazarus as an example. Have you ever thought about poor Lazarus? Lazarus dies and is raised from the dead. And Jesus actually tells us, the book of John actually tells us why these things would happen. So that his disciples would believe. Now, could you imagine having to die and be raised again for somebody else's faith? No, not too many people are like, sign me up. I'd love to die so that I could be a living illustration for these other people who just don't get it yet. That's hard. 
I mean, he had to die again after that. This means planning with God. God should be asked. Prayer is our declaration of dependence. And think about that, what, what that shows about our personal and corporate life. If we are not praying, and I don't mean that to be burdensome, if we don't feel any compulsion to go, I need your help, God, then effectively, as, as James is demonstrating, we are saying, I've got this because I'm like God. <laughs> I can self-will it. No, you can't. Listen to what James 4, 2 through 3 says. This is at the beginning of the text. I didn't want to take the time to preach through all of it. But he says this, you desire and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and wage war, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Paul, uh, James tells us right here two things about, about prayer. Number one, some things we don't have simply because we just don't ask God. And then we'll get upset with God if God somehow tells us no, because we don't realize there's much more to be taken to account than just us. And that's what he's saying there. And so what happens when we don't get our way? We will fight tooth and nail with each other to get it. We sometimes ask amiss. Our plan should be tested by God's standard. And what is God's standard? That's his word. No believer should test God by not asking, okay, by not praying, and then purposely praying amiss, <laughs> praying selfishly, and then being upset with God. And then let me ask, add this to you. So how can we be certain that God will do the right thing? When we pray, listen to what it says in James 1, 13 through 18. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. You know that? He is putting it on me. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. That's not him that tempts you. And he's, he's about to tell you, well, where does this temptation come from then? He says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. He goes, that's you, not God. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We suffer the consequences of our evil desires. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me, let me tell you what he says. I'll never forget the first time I read this passage and, and got it. He goes, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And here's why, at first, of course, you read that and you run all the way down the text because that last verse is about our salvation, to be spiritually reborn by the preaching of God's word. That is the greatest blessing. And I've tried to share this with you before. If God never did another good thing for you, if he saved you, that'd be enough to praise him for eternity. However... Think about this. The Bible is saying here, have you enjoyed anything in your life? Anybody? Oh, yeah. He goes, God gave that to you. You'd be like, the saints kick and tell on Christmas Day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hate to be a Vikings fan. Not God's will. Right? But no lie. 
Every good and perfect gift. If you've enjoyed something, it actually came from God. And that means to the most insignificant things, to the great big old things. It all came from Him. Remember, Jesus Himself exhibited this same submission to the Lord's will at the great crisis in His own life. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, sweating drops of blood, thinking about going to the cross to bear the sins of humanity, to be the sinner with a capital S so that he could be the Savior with a capital S, to, to be forsaken by God. He's staring it in the face. I mean, this has to be the panic attack of all panic attacks. And he, he, he prays, he entreats God, God, Listen to what it says, I'll read it here, Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering, that's what that means, away from me. But then notice this, nevertheless, this is his, his, his heart's desire. This is what I want, but I also want this. Did you see that? Not my will, but yours be done. I want your will to be done, and if that encompasses suffering, so be it. But I am going to ask, <laughs> you have not because you ask not. And that should also, by the way, demonstrate the seriousness of our sin is that when the Savior himself asked if there was any other way, it was only the death of his son that could blot away all our transgressions. And that should tell you another thing, that if Jesus died, he did forgive you of all your sins. And he does love you. It's not weird to say Jesus loves me. The Apostle Paul in Galatians says Jesus loved me and died for me. <laughs> wow. And it's personal. Where is your life? Should you remember and express your status as a contingent creature before a sovereign creator? That's really, I'd encourage you today, really it's like to come to grips that, yeah, I'm not in control. I'm not in control. Where have you been presumptuous or boastful in your planning? And what I would encourage you to do is say, what's the remedy for this? Not plan? I could not do that. I have to plan to be spontaneous. Ask my wife. But here's what I'm encouraging you do, to do as you enter into 2021. Let's consciously and prayerfully place all our plans, hopes, and dreams for 2021 under the lordship of Jesus, recognizing that he will prosper or bring to grief those plans for his glory, the good of others, and our joy. You can trust him to do that. We try to evade the fact that we must die soon. Every birthday, every illness, every death of a friend or relative, every accident should shout out loudly to you, you will die soon. Shouldn't you consider death in your planning? What if we don't make it past today? According to the Bible, there's only two certainties in eternity, and it's heaven or hell. That's, that's certain. And listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He who, he who does not prepare for death is more than an ordinary fool. He is a madman. That's the truth. To go another moment and, and go, am I prepared to meet my maker, yes or no? 
is just the absolute height of arrogance. Instead of going, I know I will die. If I don't die, Jesus returns and judges the living and the dead. Either way, that's in my future. You know that. So won't you just go ahead and take care of that plan today? All resolutions, all our lives are subject to the will of God. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give you an opportunity to confess your sin to God, not to me. And to repent, that means to turn away from sin. To no longer have any kind of cavalier attitude about sin, but to see the seriousness of sin. And to go to God only for forgiveness. And the way this forgiveness is purchased for you, the way God can deliver saving justice, is that he poured out his wrath for your sin on his son. Jesus became sin. So that we who are sinners might become the righteousness of God in Christ in connection with Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you today, Jesus' crucifixion is not the end of the story. God raised him from the dead three, late, three days later to prove that salvation is offered through Jesus' death on the cross. And he proved that by raising him from the dead. And said to preach the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's why we make much of Jesus. He's our only hope. He's our certainty for the future. And if you've never confessed you're, you're a sinner to King Jesus and trusted him to forgive you and grant you eternal life in heaven, then I want to encourage you right now in this moment, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's the son of God. So he can hear our faults and whispers. In the silence of your heart, will you confess that you're a sinner to him and believe in his death and resurrection, in your forgiveness and eternal life. If you want to pray, I want to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. If it's not the, what you want, it don't mean anything. But if you're ready to commit your life to Christ, would you simply just pray this? Say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. And I deserve judgment. But I believe you love me. You came down to this earth, lived a perfect, holy life, and then died on the cross and shed your blood to forgive all my sins. And I believe God raised you from the dead. Prove it. Please forgive me. Come into my life and grant me eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or call you to come forward. The Bible tells us what we're to call you to is that everyone who believes in Jesus and confesses their sin, their first step of obedience, an act of expression of love and gratitude toward our Savior is to be baptized. That's what Jesus commands, be baptized. And what does baptism do? It just simply shows, it does not save, it shows to the church and the world that you believe in Jesus' death for your sins, when you go under the water, you're being buried with him in baptism. And when you come up out of the water, you're saying you believe and you are showing in Jesus' resurrection for your forgiveness and eternal life when you come up. And my call to you, my challenge to you, is to be baptized. 
And you can do that a number of ways. You can fill out that carol on the back of the panel, I mean on that, that carol panel on the back, text baptism, drop it in the box, text believe to our text and church number, go to our website, click the baptism tab. Give us a chance to talk to you about that next step. The last thing that I want us to do, and Stacy, you can begin to play. I thank you for your patience today. I want to read a rather, I know, lengthy prayer from Philip Doddridge. Philip Doddridge was a great Puritan preacher. And he wrote this prayer. They, they wrote prayers to be recorded for future generations so that they might pray for and with them. And I put the whole, usually I abbreviate these, but I put the whole thing in there so that you could take it home with you. It's on the back of the notes. But it says, a prayer from one still on the fence. <laughs> Listen to what he prays, and I encourage you to pray, pray it. Righteous and holy sovereign of heaven and earth, my breath is in your hand. All my ways are in your hand. But I confess I have been far from glorifying you or conducting myself according to your will. So I have reason to adore your forbearance and goodness that you have not long since stopped my breath and cut me off from the land of the living. I appreciate your patience. Thank you that I did not months and years ago become an inhabitant of hell where 10,000 delaying sinners are now lamenting their folly and will be lamenting it forever. But God, it is very possible that this trifling heart of mine may ultimately betray me into the same ruin. I am convinced that sooner or later I must give serious thought to faith or I am undone. And yet my foolish heart draws back from the yoke. I stretch out my lazy bed and I call for a little more sleep. My corrupt heart pleads against the conviction of my better judgment. Lord, save me from myself. Save me from the deceit of sin. Save me from the treachery of my perverse nature. And fix upon my mind what I have been brooding. I have heard the warnings about the uncertainty of life and the day of salvation. I have made a few lightweight goals and I have begun to take tiny steps in your direction. But I have only been fluttering around faith. All my intentions have been scattered like smoke or a vapor before the wind. Bring these things home to my heart now with a more powerful conviction than ever. Pursue me with them. And if I should be insane enough to try to escape again, let your spirit use the language of terror. Implore your most powerful tools to awaken me from this deadly stupor, even if it interrupts my workday or my sleep. From this moment, Lord, may I be able to recognize a more lasting impression of faith than anything yet made on my heart. Wow. Will you take this moment to pray and plan with the Lord?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of life that you've given us this day. Lord, help us to number this day, to understand how precious it is. Lord, I pray for those who are unbelieving, that this day you have granted them a space for repentance. Today is the day of salvation because we don't know what tomorrow holds, where it, whether it's fortune, another day of grace, or, Lord, if it's fatality or your return, where we have to give an account of all the things we've said, done, felt, and thought in the body. And so, Lord, I pray for the repentance of sinners and that you would implant faith and salvation in their hearts and they would come to accept you as Lord and, and commend themselves uh, as persons who walk after you, disciples. And Lord, for those who claim to be your disciples, may we take this word from Brother James seriously that without reference to you, uh, we are nothing and we can do nothing. If you decide we'll live in 2021, and if you decide um, what we've planned, will come to a pass in 2021. And so we, we, as a church, we hand this and commit our ways to you and ask that your will be done and we trust that you'll glorify yourself, that you'll help us help others, and Lord, that we will enjoy uh, it in the process. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We pray this in his strong name and all God's people say, amen. All right, just got a couple quick announcements and then we'll be done. Uh, please make sure to reserve your spot for church next week. You can text RSVP to our texting church number. If you'll tear off the panel, on the back of that panel they have a spot for RSVP. You can check that off and drop it in the drop box uh, on your way out. And we'll be delighted to manually put that in. Uh, but please do that. Also, don't forget that our Lottie Moon International Missions offering is still ongoing. This is your last, really your last day to give on you know, a Sunday for the, for the year. Our goal is 5,000. I think we're around 34, 36. Um, you can still also give online. You can go to mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash give or click give and just make sure you click on the general fund and then a drop down uh, box will appear and you'll see Lottie Moon. And again, Lottie Moon uh, represents uh, Southern Baptist International Missions. It's an offering that just goes to missionaries around the globe. Uh, so please uh, do that. Don't forget about Sunday school next week at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. You don't have to RSVP uh, to be a part of that. Again, I want to say a special thank you uh, to the Savages, and we're excited about uh, your family joining our church today and dedicating uh, your children, and we ask God's blessing on you. And um, for the rest of you, I hope you have a great uh, rest of the day and a happy New Year's. And let's do our best, uh, as always, to make much of Jesus. Thank you for worshiping with us. Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in one last song? The infant trumpets sound and anthems raise As with joy our hearts are lifted Join with wonder, love, and praise Amen, we are. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. Thank you, church. You are Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.